Hello, my friends. I am home. I am home, but my home is no longer green. It is gold instead. Gold and red and orange. Like fire. Only it is not, even though it smells like dead leaves burning. Autumn is the color of fire, and I delight in seeing red in the trees. How beautiful. Just like my forest, I am changing too. Because it appears I was made to blend in with the trees and the dirt, like a true forest spirit that you can only see if you look closely enough. And so I suppose my skin and my hair and the little growths on my body must change with the rest of the forest. As I look at my hands, yes, patches of green remain, but there is also the same patchwork of orange, red, and gold that I see in the leaves. I am mottled, dappled with the color of the harvest, and I am pleasantly surprised and grateful for it. The little sprigs of flowering life that grew along my joints, my knuckles, my temples, are no longer green or bright. They are a little more brittle, so clearly made of a unique kind of wood. And the flowers have begun to turn dark and dry up. I have spent the better part of my day watching many of them fall off my body and rain little petals of red and gold behind me as I walk. And I think this is for the best. They have stopped growing, and they will not grow again until the spring. So, until the spring, I am host only to myself. How wonderful it is to know that I can be different. In a past life, I could not, and in a past life, I was worse for it. Rigid and immovable, unchanging and unchangeable. But just because that's who I was before does not mean that I need to be that now. The wind is cold. I don't mind it. I don't mind that it sends little brown leaves swirling around me fallen from the tangled nest that is my hair. Once we made it back home, my fiery friend and I, we parted ways. Just for a little while, I'm sure. I know he's here somewhere. But I think he could sense that it was time for me to be on my own once more. He could sense it from my silence, my introspective mood, my emotional distance. And I could tell that he was not hurt. He was not angry. In a past life of his, I think that he might have been. I think he enjoyed calling the shots and taking and giving company when it suited him and abandoning me when it pleased him. But now we are both different. We are both aware that we can share the wood. We can share the world, in fact, without fighting each other for it and through it. 
So, once we found our beloved ancient forest once more, he left me with a little bow, and I had silence. Blessed silence. And it was in that blessed silence that I sat down and found, tucked away in the great mane of dying leaves and twigs and hair atop my head, my deck of cards. There they hide, wrapped in the black and purple fabric of a garment I used to wear but have no need of any longer. I shuffled them, thoroughly, of course, and I cut the deck, and, not without a nervousness in my breath, I turned over the card on the top of that cut deck. The chariot reversed. Indeed. Powerlessness, yet forcefulness. Being without direction, being full of doubt, unsure. There is a strange duality here, for the card may mean that one's lack of discipline and direction may lead to a lack of control or power in one's own circumstances. However, it may also mean that one is trying much too hard to gain power and control, and is perhaps forcing too hard. It could be over-ambition, obsession, desperately grasping, or not knowing how to grasp in the first place. It is a difficult card when it is reversed, but one that I think I understand. It sounds like me, or it sounds like me as I once was, and I believe that it is a warning, as I feel my power grow and as I explore what I can control in my own world, a warning not to seek to gain more power, not in a forceful way anyway. Sometimes we must wait, and what we desire will come to us. What do I desire? I think I would be lying if I did not admit that power was appealing. I cannot deny that the awe and fear and admiration I see in a human's eyes when they spot me among the trees isn't intoxicating. I can't deny that two weeks ago, as I watched the ancient tower that controlled me for so long topple to the ground by the sheer strength of my will that I did not feel a strange thrill. But this is not real desire. This is fleeting fun, if anything. I desire... I don't know. What do you desire? And what would you do to have what you desire? Let's share a story. A story for the reversed chariot. A chariot that drove so fast and so dangerously that it overturned itself completely. Once upon a time, there was a strange woman. Some might have called her a witch, but this would not paint the entire picture for you. For yes... She was full of magic and mystical power, but it was more than any human person could harbor. 
and she was a little bit monstrous, at least in her appearance. I do not mean this as an insult, for I am a little bit monstrous, and I'm sure that you are too. She was a little bit monstrous because she appeared one day out of nowhere and would tell no one where she came from. She lived in a little hut on the outskirts of the city, and the hut looked as though it was fashioned from mud and straw in a land where everything was made of stone. She looked as though she were made of mud and straw herself. She kept herself disguised in several cloaks of black and brown and gray, and her hair was so overgrown and matted and muddy itself that it completely hid her face so that only dark brown irises peered out from the almost too white whites of her eyes. She was disguised entirely, and she tended to walk with back bent, low to the ground, such that her hands could easily collect and forage from the earth. She could have easily been mistaken for an old she-bear, or perhaps a wolverine, if one weren't looking closely enough. Now, once upon this time as well, there was another strange woman. She lived in a stately mansion in town, where everything was white and clean and shining. She had been born and raised in this place, and she felt that she owned every inch of it. Not just her house, but the city. This was her place, and she wanted it. All of it. For it was known across the land that the king's beloved wife had passed away months ago, and, after waiting for a respectable period of mourning to pass, and not without making a great show of wearing beautiful black dresses and veils to the finest events in the country. This woman had designs to marry the king and become the new queen. It was not known whether or not he was even interested in remarrying. But this wealthy and terrible woman did not care. She would have what she desired. She was no witch, but she too had power of her own. She was on every council. She owned several businesses. She ensured that she was at the top of the food chain in as many aspects of her community as possible. And what did she do with her great power and wealth? She sought more of it. She wanted to own every factory, every farm, every fishery. She wanted to control who sold what and for what price. She wanted to control who could afford to eat and who would have to leave or starve. She wanted more than the city. In fact, she wanted the country, the kingdom. She already bore herself as if she were queen anyway, so why not exert her will? It would be easy enough. She was tall and proud and dangerously beautiful, with eyes that were bluer than wintry ice. She was as clean and shining as her home, 
She smelled always of expensive perfumes and soaps, perhaps to disguise the rotting of the heart she had been given at birth, one that she had long ago killed in order to climb her way to even more decadence and wealth than she had already been born with. She held herself aloft, almost as if always on tiptoe, so that whenever she was forced to walk through the streets on foot, something she avoided at all costs, she seemed as if she were trying to lift herself away from the unhappy rabble around her. And she could not walk through the streets without at least four guards flanking her. For though she was powerful, she was hated and she did not mind it, not one bit. But when the king had refused an audience with her by the time she finally thought it appropriate to request one, she suspected that word of her heartlessness and cruelty had spread to the palace. She had invited him to her home, but he denied her invitation, still citing his great grief, though she suspected that his knowledge of the hatred the people bore her was the greater reason. This would not do. Not at all. And so, she went to the strange witch's home on the outskirts of the city. There was no door on which to knock. There was no welcome mat, only dirt and mud and dead grass. Come in. A voice called from the inside, soft and low and croaking. The witch sat by a small fire. The wealthy woman, in her clean and shining gowns, held a handkerchief over her mouth, disgusted by the place. You find me very ugly, the witch asked. I would not presume to insult someone from whom I'm asking a favor, the woman replied pointedly. The witch laughed, but then got straight to the point. <laughs> you seek something to make you more well-loved among the people, but more importantly by the king. Am I wrong? She stood and went to the rotting shelves along the wall, dirty fingers lightly playing along the strange bottles and herbs that stood there. Something to make a beautiful woman irresistible to a king, she mused as she looked through the items. She settled on a little vial, a dusty vial with a strange black liquid inside of it, this, ah, uh, this is what you want. A few drops every morning, and you will be his perfect wilting flower, even though you are a poisonous viper. The woman tried not to grimace at the insult, for in her heart she knew it was true. And for payment, she asked. The witch grinned. There will be a day when I will knock at your door. You must let me in. 
No matter the circumstances, you must let me in. The wealthy woman nodded. I accept. And she left with the little black vial and tried to pretend that she didn't hear the soft laughter coming from the hut behind her. <laughs> she obeyed the witch's directions. Every morning she placed three drops under her tongue, and she saw changes in herself almost immediately. Her eyes seemed less cruel. Her lips seemed softer and more red. Her countenance had a delightful frailty to it that replaced her usual hardness. And when she went out in the streets, she noticed that people shouted less at her. No one threw anything in her direction, and gentlemen bowed at her and ladies curtsied where they normally only glared. Word spread across the land of her delicate features, her soft expression, her gentle demeanor, her lilting voice. Qualities she'd prided herself on not having before. But it made sense. The perfect, wilting flower, the witch had said. Indeed, she was beginning to resemble the previous queen in her beautiful, sickly, pallid visage, as alluring as it was concerning. The wealthy woman had considered the queen to be insipid and weak, in truth. But if that was what she had to become in order to replace her, so be it. But behind closed doors she was more terrible than ever to those who worked for her. To her own house staff, she had only harsh words in the back of her hand. To those who worked in her factories or on her farms, she had demanded more hours for less money so that she could buy a new wardrobe, redecorate her home, and have only the finest of everything. Her little coup was taxing her people dreadfully, and she thought nothing of it. And after weeks of cultivating this bloodless loveliness in herself, finally the king accepted her invitation. He would come to her home for a dinner. The wealthy woman was beside herself with joy and anticipation. Her plans were coming to fruition. Nothing would stand between her and her crown. And once she had that, perhaps even the king would fall to her greatness, and she would be the only one ruling. King and queen all in one woman. One strong, ruthless, and cruel woman. She mused on this as she set her servants to preparing the meal. With raised voice and harsh words, she set them to decorating her home, filling it with flowers as dainty and frail as she now was. She sent them to purchase so much meat and fruit and bread and wine that they all knew would mostly go to waste. And with sorrowful obedience, they went out to fetch these things. Hours passed, however, and no one returned. One by one, her house was empty. Her servants had deserted her by the time the sun had set, and the king was on his way. 
Her breathing was shallow and her pulse rapid. She was panicking. What would she do? She had spent hours bathing, dressing, and adorning herself. She could not go out and do anything for herself. What would the king say when there was no meal, no wine, no one to greet him at the door? She tried to do it herself. She went to the kitchens and saw the poultry, the eggs, the meat, the fruit, the flour. She had no idea what to do with any of it. She ran back upstairs and tried to light a welcoming fire for him, but the wood seemed too heavy for her weak hands. She tried to climb a ladder to light the candles in her chandelier, but her feet were too weary to carry herself. She fell to the ground, gasping, when she heard the knock at the door. She cried out, Who is it? terrified that the king would see her like this. There was a long pause. Finally, a voice replied, I've come for my payment. The woman moaned in agony. No, not now. He is almost here. You cannot enter now. But the hag at the door was already inside. They didn't lock the door when they left, the hag croaked. Everyone has been dismissed for the evening. She began to peel off one of her cloaks, and as she did it, mice and fleas and flies and birds flew and scurried away from it. The wealthy woman on the floor tried to prop herself up. You wretch! You horrible, disgusting wretch, she moaned. The witch chuckled and peeled off another layer. More insects and vermin were shed from her. And the more she shed, the closer to the ground she came. She was crawling on all fours to the wealthy woman now. <laughs> more, call me more, <laughs> she said, mocking. Pig! Filth! Rat! The wealthy woman wept, though her breathing was more and more laborious now. What did you give me? She shouted, now starting to realize the terrible truth about her ill-gotten loveliness. There are flowers with the loveliest names and the prettiest petals, but they have the most poisonous berries of them all, the witch said, coming so close that the woman could see the warm brown of her eyes. The wealthy woman rolled onto her back and clutched at her heart. Don't bother, the witch said, peeling off her sleeves. The arms underneath them were smooth and young and clean. Your real heart was deserted years and years ago. The woman gasped for breath, but her lungs wouldn't let her. Don't bother, the witch said, now removing her hood, her hair no longer matted and filthy, but smooth and shining and clean and heavily perfumed. Your breath 
belongs to me now. The wealthy woman cursed and cried and raged and screamed as her body convulsed and the witch grew closer and closer, until, finally, the face that looked down at her was her own. Only with brown eyes, eyes brown as the earth, lips red as berries. She leaned down to give her one last deadly kiss. Only minutes later, the doors to the mansion opened, and the wealthy woman stood there. She wore her finest robes. She no longer appeared ghastly and anemic. She seemed healthy once more. Strong. She had a smile on her face. Behind her was a pile of filthy rags and garments. Before her, waiting just outside of her house, were her servants. The cook, the gardener, the maids, the footmen, the butler. They were sitting down, for the first time in perhaps over a day, gathered around a table of glorious food and expensive wine. They stopped in their tracks and froze to see the woman standing in her hall, by herself. No trace of a witch to be seen. The butler rose upon seeing the mess on the floor. Please, madam, allow me. The woman raised a hand to halt him. That's all right. I've got it, she said and she bent over to clean up, her hands and fingers diligently moving across the ground, her back arched, like a bear searching for a salmon in a stream. The servants looked on, awestruck. And when she returned, clapping her dirty hands to brush the mud off of them, she saw a great golden carriage pulling up towards her door. When the king stepped out, confused at the scene before him, she raised a hand to wave at him, debating whether or not she would allow him to join. Madam, the butler asked, dumbfounded. She looked over the cook, the gardener, the maids, the footmen, and the butler, her brown eyes appraising and admiring. She winked. And they had never found her to be more beautiful. I'm not sure whether or not this story has a hero. Perhaps one was a woman, and one was a shadow. But which was which, is what I wonder. One clutching desperately for more power than she could ever know what to do with. And the other only prompted to action when action came to her doorstep and insulted her to her face. 
Perhaps the witch was the woman's discarded, abandoned heart after all. A vengeful spirit. A doppelganger of the worst kind. The kind that knows its maker's greatest fears and darkest dreams. Perhaps. Perhaps instead she was a wandering, powerful spirit, moving across the earth, searching its surface for cruel, selfish souls who dared ask her for something. Or perhaps it's just a story. I have had many shapes, many selves, many shadows. I have met many spirits, but when I met this one, she had no form, not one that I could tell. She was only a whisper. She asked me if I wanted to be known across the world, if I wanted to no longer live in the shadows, but rather be loved and feared and welcomed everywhere. I am ashamed to say that I said yes, but I am proud to say that I told her I preferred to shape my power with my own hands. If my hands aren't able to create the thing I desire, then they are not worthy of grasping it either. A darker story for tonight. A dark story, for there is darkness in all of us. Come back to the light with me now. It's up there, in the sky. A little of it. Peeking through in the stars and the moon. Just when I think I've lost myself, I see a bright flame in the forest, waiting for me, reminding me of my own kindness and love. Take a breath and stop grasping, just for tonight. Just rest. The chariot will right itself, sooner or later. For now, just rest. Good night, my friends. Good evening, my friends, and thank you so much for listening in to episode 112 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza speaking. I'm your host, writer, narrator, composer, production team for the show. It's just me. I hope you're doing well. I don't know about you, but I feel like autumn has come in perfect time, and I'm ready for the change. Before we jump into housekeeping and thank yous, I'm going to take a moment and talk about a great new podcast by a very wonderful person. One More Round with Trisha Black is a podcast where host comedian Trisha Black has a chat and a drink or two with a variety of guests. It's kind of like an East Coast kitchen party, except if that kitchen were a studio and the party was the conversation. I've never been to that part of Canada, but I have hung out with Trisha Black and believe me, it's very fun. Join Trisha in conversation every Wednesday 
and maybe you'll want to stick around for one more round. I know I will. You can find one more round with Trisha Black on the Sonar website. That's thesonarnetwork.com. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for that, friends. Now I'd like to give a big thank you to iTunes listener Viral Ponick, who left us a very sweet five-star review of the show, where I believe they alluded to my show as Frasier for Creeps, which, by golly, I will take. Thank you so much, Viral Ponick. If you'd like to support the show in a similar way, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or wherever you prefer to review podcasts and leave us some kind words. I'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to help the show in a different way, you can make a monthly pledge on Patreon.com, where every patron receives access to my ever-growing soundtrack. I compose all the music you hear on the show, and if you like it, this is a great way to have it all at your fingertips. You can find me there at Patreon.com slash DarkColdNight. And if you're not interested in that perk and want to donate only once, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And finally, if you're interested in checking out some wearable merch, you can see the t-shirts and hoodies I have available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. And as always, feel free to find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and on Facebook and YouTube just under on a dark cold night. Thank you so much for listening this week. As I always say, the reverse chariot is not necessarily a bad card. We must instead stop to think of the lessons it has for us. For me, I'm going to try to remember to rest and relax and not force anything this autumn. Just be. There's a virtue in allowing yourself to relax. So, why not start now and take a few deep breaths? Remember how good that is for you. Good night, my friends. Sleep well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.